Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Just a word of encouragement for all you guys. Uh, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're in a good season of life. Maybe you're in a storm. I can tell you this with 100% surety. The Lord cares about you wherever you're at, okay? And I can base that solely off of Genesis chapter 32, okay? Because the Lord is so in love with his creation and his, the, the, you know, the crown of his creation where it was humans, okay? Um, and especially for his children, he is so just in tune with your life and where you're at and what's going on. You may think he doesn't care. This stuff's trivial. He cares. The Lord is so in love with his children. He cares about every aspect of your life. He has a great plan for you. He's trying hard every day to get you on the same page as Him. Sometimes you need a gentle pat on the back. You need to hear Him say, it's going to be okay. Pastor James says, sometimes you need a dad to show up and wrestle with you on the living room floor, showing you that he's stronger than you and that he has everything under control. Try as hard as you may, you can't beat him. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis, chapter 32, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Genesis 32, back in the book of Genesis. Praise God for that. So excited to get back into this thing. In our friend Jacob's life, uh, as we've been walking with him through this journey, through through his part of Genesis anyways. And so Genesis 32 is going to paint for us a good picture of this man and like transformation that happens in his life, okay? So just a word of encouragement for all you guys. Uh, I don't know where you're at. Um, Maybe you're in a good season of life. Maybe you're in a storm. Um, I can tell you this. With 100% surety, the Lord cares about you wherever you're at, okay? And I can base that solely off of Genesis chapter 32, okay? Because the Lord is so in love with his creation and his, the, the, you know, the crown of his creation where it was humans, okay? Um, and especially for his children, he is so just in tune with your life and where you're at and what's going on. You may think he doesn't care. This stuff's trivial. He cares, He cares beyond what we could ever think or imagine. um, He absolutely cares with what's going on in our lives, and he does have a plan for us. And he's just trying to get us to get on page with him, kind of navigate through some of these things to get us to where he wants us to be. Sometimes that means dealing with your past in order to go forward in the future. Sometimes that has to happen, okay? So that's what we're looking at. So Genesis 32, verse 1. Look at this. It says, so Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. We'll pause right there. Um, Went on his way. So he is leaving. He left his father-in-law's house. You remember his father-in-law? His name is Laban. Um, He was a basically a a conniving kind of a guy, all right? He pulled one over on, on Jacob. Jacob fell in love with Rachel. This is Laban's youngest daughter. And so Jacob says, I want to marry your daughter. Laban said, yeah, that's cool. You can marry my daughter. Um... You know, you showed up to my house, so I know you have money, but you don't have anything with you, so you need to work, okay? It's like a little dowry type thing. So Jacob was more than willing to work seven years for the hand of Rachel, which is very generous on his side of things. If you do the math, that's very generous on his, on his end of it. 
The night leading up to the wedding, Laban pulls uh, a switcheroo on him and inserts Leah into the bedroom, and it's dark, veils, all that good stuff. That's how that works. Um, And so Jacob thought he had married Rachel, but he married Leah, the older daughter, is furious, ends up getting both daughters from Laban, uh, and then has to work. Spends about 20 years with this guy, 20 years total, all right? Um, changes wages more than 10 times, just not a good man at all. And so Jacob was fed up and says, okay, it's time to go. And God had told him it's time to leave, time to get back to the promised land. And so Jacob is taking his family, his two wives, all their kids, 11 boys at this point in time, one daughter, probably more daughters than just the one, but they're headed back to the promised land. And that's where we catch up in in chapter 32. So as Jacob is going on his way, here's the fascinating thing. He doesn't run into the angels of God. They meet him on the journey. You may not think that that's a big deal, but that is a big deal. Because it wasn't that he just so happened to stumble upon this little encampment of heavenly ministers, and that's kind of what they are, angels, they're, they, they, they're messengers in one sense, but there's a group of them, there's a camp of them, and they meet with Jacob. They meet with him. Now, we know that on his way out of the promised land to Laban's house, he met angels there. The angels met, he got to see the, the ladder from heaven and all that good stuff. On his way back into the promised land, the angels meet with him, and they're going to encourage him. And it's an encouraging sight just for him anyways. I mean, this guy, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen an angel. Um, Hebrews tells us, you know, just be careful how you treat people because you never know if you're actually talking to an angel. You could actually literally meet somebody who is an angel. Now, you may think that's crazy. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. But just be careful how you treat people. You should treat people with respect and dignity, you know? You know, because you never know, because that person may leave and go right to the presence of God and say, hey, um, what's up with your son? Why is he a jerk? You know, like, what's, that, what's, what's their deal? Like, I thought, yeah, no, they don't really look like you, Jesus. They're not really, yeah, just be, care- just be cautious. Treat people nicely. These angels, they meet with him. Verse 2, it says, when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place uh, Mahanaim. I'd yeah, I'm going to mess that up. I'm going to mess up another one too. Don't worry about it. Um, but it basically means God's encampment. Okay? So he leaves Laban's camp and he, he comes into the this camp of God, is, is what this is. Now, um, really, the, that word there, uh, Mahanaim, uh, speaks of two camps. That's kind of what technically what that means. And some people would say, well, he's speaking of he just left Laban's camp and now he's in the presence of God's camp. That could be true, but here's, here's something else, another way of looking at this. Um, uh, Alan Redpath said this in his commentary. What he believes is Jacob is seeing two camps of the Lord's host, and here's why he says that. Uh, we, we see throughout the Old Testament, especially in the, the, the next book, Exodus, when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt and all through their journey through Egypt, God had specifically placed, um, in one sense, protection in the front of them, and protection behind them. So they didn't have to worry about where they were going because God was going to be ahead of them. They didn't have to worry, worry about where they had been or who might be chasing them because God had their back. He set up two camps, so to speak, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, to watch them, to guard them as they journeyed through this life. It's kind of the same thing for us, and it's kind of the same thing here. These two camps could be two sets of angels in one sense communicating to Jacob, hey, don't worry about where you're going, God's got your back. Don't worry about where you've been and Laban's camp or anything like that. God's got that covered. You just keep moving where God has told you to go to. 
Don't worry about it. It's good. You're surrounded. You're surrounded by a host, and you shouldn't have to worry about these things. And I, if, if I could just get this stuff through my head, if I could just get it through this thing and into this thing, I think life would be so much more peaceful, right? But I, it takes me a long time to learn these lessons. I don't know about you guys, but I worry about things I don't have to worry about so often, so often. But here's Jacob. He gets this really vivid picture of like, I think we're going to be okay. But he does exactly what I do. He does exactly what I do. Look what happens. It says, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the county or in the country of Edom. The Edomites are there. That's his brother, uh, Esau. And, and he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkey, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. And so you can understand through the verbiage here as he's sending this, uh, this message by messenger um, to his brother saying, listen, um, I'm not here to collect my inheritance. I'm not here to get my, I'm not, because Jacob was due a double portion of his dad's inheritance. Even though he was the younger son, but God had told him at the beginning, the older Esau will serve the younger Jacob. And that spiritual, uh, that birthright that Esau had sold to his brother for the bowl of lentils or whatever they were, that was them trading places. That was a swap there where Jacob is now the, he's like the spiritual heir He's the spiritually responsible one for the family when dad dies. Now, dad's still alive. But that would mean that he gets a double portion of the inheritance. And so what he's communicating to Esau, the the same brother who the last time that they met each other or they saw each other, Esau had said, listen, you're a dead man. When our dad dies, I'm going to kill you. And he meant it. And I think even at this point in time in this chapter, he's still angry with him 20 years later. You know how to carry a grudge? So did Esau. <laughs> so did Esau. 20 years. 20 years. I, I know how to carry a grudge as well. I carried many grudges in my life for a long time, for a long time. But, but Jacob's kind of, he's, he's trying to like, you know, win his brother over a little bit and say like, listen, I'm not here for the stuff. I'm not here for the money. I don't need anything. I, I went into Laban's house with nothing. And look how God has blessed me. And he, kept, he keeps saying, your servant, your servant. Your, no, Jacob, he's supposed, it, we know he serves you. He's supposed to serve you. But Jacob is really trying to communicate to Esau, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. Um, I'm here I'm as your servant, your servant, your servant, your servant. He just continually repeats that. Verse 6, the messengers return to Jacob. So the message goes out. And Jacob's probably sweating, you know, like wringing his hands a little bit, because it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time. Uh, Unbeknownst to him, Esau probably has word that they are close. And so he's already headed out. So it's not as though the messengers go and knock on Esau's door. They meet him on the way. So Esau's already coming towards them. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we, we came to your brother Esau, and uh, he's also coming to meet you. Um, and he's got 400 soldiers with him, <laughs> just so you know, by the way. You know, a little side note, you know. Yeah we, yeah, we saw your brother. We didn't have to go to his house because he was already on his way here to meet you. And he's got his army with him. This isn't a welcoming committee, right? 
You guys remember when airports, like, you could do that? Like, you could show up and go past the gates and all that. You didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. And then you could have the signs and welcome people. Now you got to do it down in the main lobby stuff. But this isn't one of those things. This is an army, trained men, purposefully going to meet Jacob. We believe at this point in time, Esau has not forgotten anything. And probably the word that his brother is now close to his home has stirred up all that hatred, all that anger, all that resentment. And so he gets his army, and he's going to go and meet his brother, and he's probably going to fulfill that promise. Unless somebody intervenes, unless somebody steps in supernaturally. He's coming to meet you, and 400 of his men are with him. Verse 7, so Jacob was greatly afraid. Yes, he was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him. So now he's, now he's basing all his decisions on reaction, okay? Hey, your brother's coming. He's got 400 guys with him. And as, you know, that's that thing where your stomach kind of drops a little bit, and you get the sick feeling inside you, and then you really start to sweat, and you're like, and then your heart's beating faster, and those stress levels are going up in your body. And all I can do is, like, can't think. All I can do is react, 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 react. He would have been wise. And I, I hate saying this because I don't do this all the time, right? I would be wise. We would be wise. He would have been wise to take a step back and say, you know what we need to do? We should probably just pray. <laughs> we should probably pray. Because I've heard from God on multiple times, multiple accounts now, that he said, he will get me back to the promised land, and I don't have to worry about anything. But right now, I'm really worried. I'm really worried. So let's just do a little family prayer meeting. Let's do a family. Let's just pray. I don't do that all the time. I internalize everything. And I immediately go into myself and say, okay, I got to figure this out. I got to figure this thing out. What do I got to do? And I start planning, and I start planning. And, and then I, eventually I'll bring God into those plans and say, okay, Lord, I've done all the work. Um, here it is. Can you just sign off on that? Can you just okay that? Can you stamp that? Is that cool? Like, and he just laughs, I think, and says, oh, you have no idea. Um, it's cute. I'm sure it's cute to see us try to figure out all these things within our brains. Um, but he is greatly afraid. He's distressed. And so he starts trying to figure this thing out. And so what he starts to do is we see in in verse 7 there, he says, he divides the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. Now, again, another play on that word of two camps. So now Jacob is like, okay, there's two camps. I think that there is probably two camps of angels there. He has forgotten about those guys. And now he's thinking like, okay, I've got to divide my team into two. I got all these servants and I got my family, so I need to separate these guys out. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. What a guy. What a guy. Yeah, what a boss. There you go. That's, that's your boss for you. He's like, okay, here's the thing. Uh, my murderous brother is on his way to meet me. So what I want to do is I'm going to divide my, my team into two teams. It's A team and B team, okay? B team, you're all the servants and the animals. You guys go ahead, okay? And if he starts killing all those guys, the rest of us, We'll split. Jacob is a runner. He's always run in his life. He's always run away from his problems. And he is continually living his life with an escape route. Always with an escape route. Not in a good way, as Paul would say to the church in Corinth, where God will always provide you a way of escape when temptation comes. Not like that, 
but through fear, based off of fear. Instead of standing and dealing with something, he wants to run away. So you can even see he's still plotting and scheming. He is Jacob. He is the heel catcher. He's the deceiver. He's always working the system. How can I get out of this? How can I get out of this? And there, even in the presence of angels, we, we're, we've given, we have no inclination at all that the angels have left. There's, there's nothing that says, it says that they're there. It doesn't say that they left. But he's not looking up anymore or wherever they may have been. He's looking inwardly now. He is totally self-absorbed upon himself, just focused on himself. What am I going to do to save my neck in this story? That's it. I don't want it to seem like I'm coming down too hard on Jacob. I find a lot of similarities between him and myself, if I'm honest. I do a lot of the same stuff. But here's where Jacob goes, verse 9. He is going to pray. Smart, pretty wise. Verse 9, it says, Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, um, Jesus, I just want to remind you of what you said to me, okay? This is your word, not my word. Who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. Man, what a beautiful, what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful phrase within a prayer. Here he is. I mean, yeah, he is a selfish guy. We see that. We, but we're seeing some transformation happen within his life and all that good stuff. But man, just what a, what a beautiful little phrase within the prayer. And, and I would say, underline that, highlight that, and, and incorporate that into your prayer life. Lord, I'm not worthy of your mercy. I'm not worthy of your grace, of all the truth which you have shown your servant. Lord, I'm not worthy of anything. I'm not worthy of it. But he, here he is. He's being broken down. Not totally, but he's, he's kind of being broken down by the Lord a little bit. He says, for I crossed this Jordan with my staff, and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. And again, here's the, it's the shell that's cracking, so to speak, right? This, this tough exterior that Jacob has through years of just, you know, all the stuff. He's developed this hard shell around him, and we're, we're beginning to see it crack a little bit. Through this prayer, this is just real simple, beautiful little prayer. For the first time, he's like honest. For the first time, he's honest. You can't really, Jacob's one of those guys where you're like, you don't, he's one of, you just don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I want to shake your hand because I don't know what I'm agreeing to. Like, I don't, what's the catch, right? That's, that's something you, you probably hear a lot with him or if you were overhearing conversations. Yeah, what's the catch? But here we see these, these, these cracks beginning to develop in this hardened exterior, and he, he finally comes out. He finally says something that's really truthful. Not that he hasn't been truthful at all in his life, but, but really between him and the Lord. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. How well we would do to own up to that at times in our lives. Lord, I'm scared. Lord, I'm afraid. I know you say multiple times, hundreds of times, the most common command throughout the scriptures is, do not be afraid. Lord, I'm afraid. I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to die. (laughs) 
I don't want to die at the hands of my brother. But your word says this. So help me, Lord. Help me. Give me what I need to overcome this fear. Because I got nothing left. And that's where Jacob's at. He's like, uh, what am I supposed to do? You told me to come back. And now I'm back. But now Esau's here. And I'm afraid. Just real honest. Real honest. And I, I love that. That is just incredible. He says, I'm afraid lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea. This is the promise that was given to him. It was the promise that was given to his dad. It was the promise that was given to his grandfather, Abraham. And he is going back to what the Lord has said. Let me tell you, if you are in a spot of fear, the best place for you to go to is back to what the Lord has already said in his word. There, I, people, you can surround yourself with people, and there can be a good encouragement and all that stuff. But the thing you need the most is to go back into the Word and, what, Lord, what have you said? What have you said? And help me to get it past this thing in here and into my heart. What have you said? And that's what Jacob does. He says, Lord, you said this. You said this, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. And then he Look at that. He didn't even say amen. I, he ended as he didn't even say, no, nah, you know, that's, that you can do that. That's, that's how you should end your prayers. But here he is, he's like, and he's praying, then prayer's over, verse 13. So what's he going to do? He's going to have a good night of rest. He's going to have, cook up a nice little dinner with his family, s'mores around the campfire and play games with the kids. And, you know, he's going to have a peaceful night of sleep and no, no worries, right? No, he's going to do what I do. Something happens in my life. Fear takes, takes root within my soul, and it's like, get worried and anxious and all that stuff. Eventually, I get to the point where it's like, okay, Lord, I just, I'm just going to you. I'm just, I can't do anything. I got to go to you. And I pray, and I have that moment. And then for whatever reason, I go back to that thing where I was at before, where it's like, okay, um, you know, Lord, thank you for that time, that sweet, intimate time. But uh, I got to get back to work planning. Um, so... I don't know why I do that. You, maybe you do that as well, but it's, it's really difficult. It really is difficult sometimes to trust the Lord. It just really is. If we're honest, is he trustworthy? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is difficult at times to trust him, if we're honest. Verse 13, so he lodged there that same night, took what came to his hand as a um, took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between uh, successive droves. Okay, he's like, so space these things out, right, is basically what he's saying. And he commanded the first one, saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks uh, ask you, saying, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? Uh, whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who, and, and all who followed the drove, saying, in this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the presence that go before me, that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the presence went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. Hope 
Genesis is the beginning of it all. Not just the Bible, but life as a whole. God detailed his creation story in the first few chapters of this book, and then went on to reveal his power and glory in the following pages. We learn who he is through this book, what's important to him, and how he expects us to follow him. We're so glad you tuned in today for Bread for the Broken to learn from Genesis, and we hope you'll return for our next edition. If you'd like to listen to other messages from this series, visit breadforthebroken.com. We'd also like to invite you to come meet us in person at Calvary Galveston. We meet each Sunday at 10 a.m. to spend time worshiping God, reading verse by verse through the Bible, and getting to know each other better. When you visit, be sure to find Pastor James and shake his hand. Let him know that you heard him right here on Bread for the Broken. Before our time with you is over for the day, we want to ask for your help. Would you partner with us in prayer? Bread for the Broken is a ministry, and in a way, a mission field. We're reaching people for Jesus through a different kind of medium. And therefore, we need to make sure Jesus is our focus. Would you pray for Pastor James and the team that puts Bread for the Broken together? Pray that we'd all keep our eyes fixed on our Savior and be willing to follow Him no matter where He leads. Thanks for lifting us up in prayer before the Lord. Know that we too are praying for you each day. And thanks for tuning in today to Pastor James' message on Bread for the Broken. We pray that you find hope and new life in Jesus. Let me paint the picture of you.